Hello there, listener. Welcome to The Context, episode 28. This time, we have a special guest, Rebecca Franks. Hi, Rebecca. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Really, really excited to be on the podcast today. Awesome. Today, we are going to talk about graphics, canvas, bitmaps, all the funny stuff. And the motivation behind this is uh, that I have seen some very cool stuff Rebecca has worked on and in her job, I guess, at Ober, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it would be a good idea to have an episode with you to, where you give us all those nice insights about how to work with a canvas properly, how to uh, avoid out-of-memory exceptions, how to architect those things, and how to test it properly. So I'm really looking forward to, this, to it. And thank you so much for taking your time. And for those of you who don't know Rebecca yet, um, would you mind to introduce yourself, Rebecca? Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm so excited to be chatting about all these awesome graphics, canvas stuff. It's been um, such a cool experience dealing with it. Uh, yeah, but for those that don't know me, um, my name is Rebecca, and I'm an Android developer based in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. And I've been working at a company called Over for about a year and a bit now. So we make like a, a, I guess you can call it a design app where you can put graphics and text and a whole bunch of different cool things on top of photos and just like make collages and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's been a, a cool experience and I, I look forward to just chatting about it and um, hopefully sharing some insights as to what we've done uh, within the past year. Yeah, it really looks amazing. It was really, really awesome to see those little videos that you already shared while launching the app or over the last few weeks with the new features you have implemented. Uh, it's really interesting. So really looking forward to this episode. You started at over about a year ago. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Was this app a Greenfield project or was there already an existing app before that you took over and polished it? So when I joined, the Android app was in the stages of being rebuilt. So uh, we have an iOS app that's been around for about six years. So you can imagine mm -hmm. it's got like a lot of really complex features. And um, basically, the company decided that we want to uh, build out a new Android version. And we got to sort of start from scratch, if that makes sense. So I joined about three months after the initial team had um, started work on like laying the basics of some little architecture decisions and like just some basic canvas drawing. But yeah, so I would say like it was a very, very new project when I joined. There was a little bit of code, but uh, not that much. So it was quite, ni quite a nice challenge from that part. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering how big is your team or the Android team right now? So we have uh, four developers at the moment. So um, I'd, I'd say we're still quite small. I don't know. Some people that say that's quite a big team, but yeah, we, um, we're looking to grow the team as well. So uh, so we can start building more and more cool sort of editing features and make the app really um, at least get to the level where the iOS app is at the moment because iOS app has like video editing and a whole bunch of really cool stuff that we haven't got to yet. So there's still a lot to build and um, I guess like not enough time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, cool. So you're hiring basically, right? So now is your 10 yeah. <laughs> seconds pitch why people should join over. Yeah, I mean, that's not the point of this today, but I mean, uh, we do some cool <laughs> stuff and I'm, enjoy I I'm enjoying it. And it's, um, it's definitely one of the most uh, interesting challenges that I've worked on. And, um, you know, like when you do all those, uh, uh, those things in university where you have, perhaps you get learn about linear algebra and all these different cool 
uh, matrices and all the stuff and you're like, this is cool. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. <laughs> but then this is, I've actually <laughs> gotten into my job and I've started using it. So it's been really cool just to like get to do like really uh, nitty gritty maths and just playing around with that kind of stuff, which I haven't really done before. So it's been interesting. Oh, wow. So university pays off now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know about anything else in university, but I feel like at least my linear algebra has helped me within the past year with a lot of the problems I've faced. Awesome. All right, then probably let's dive directly into one of the challenges you faced. So you said cool. you basically work on a graphical editor. My assumption is that you yeah. are going to use the Canvas API heavily for it. Can you guide us a that little bit? Correct through what Canvas actually is and how to use it? Yeah, so Canvas is a is an interesting class. It's like one of the base classes that can give you so much power to do so many cool things. But it's basically, um, if you think about like art terms, it's like a blank canvas. <laughs> so there's nothing on mm -hmm. it. You like, you're responsible for drawing things onto it. So um, that could be drawing an image. It could be drawing text. It could be drawing paths, it could be drawing uh, rectangles, shapes, all different kinds of things. And basically the Canvas API have all these um, functions for you that are very low, sort of low level and you can build your own custom UI, custom views using the Canvas. So you would typically just draw to it and create custom views um, using a Canvas if you wanted to. Awesome. What exactly are you, are you drawing on, the, on your Canvas? So can you probably Give us a quick overview how the graphical editor look like for people who haven't used the over app yet. So there are some UI elements like buttons and so on. I assume those are just regular UI widgets from the Android framework. What exactly are you using the canvas for? Yeah, so we have, I mean, we're using the canvas in a few different ways, but um, I guess primarily if you're looking at like the editor, which we call is where you like, where you start to create a project. And this is where you would add on like, Put in your own images, make your own little custom designs, change the color of a font and all that kind of thing. So this is like basically like a really um, um, customizable poster or design that you can make. And the actual editor where you are putting things on top of and moving things around, that is all um, basically custom view drawing or canvas drawing. So um, that is largely where we use the canvas. And then also in some of our custom uh, like widgets that we have. So most of the widgets that we use are just not normal text views and buttons, but like some of them are a little bit more complex. So we've had to dive into uh, writing our own custom views for that. Interesting. So is my understanding correct that to use the Canvas API, you basically have to extend from android.view.view class and then overwrite the onDraw method. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So in the onDraw method, you get access to that canvas object, and then you can just start doing things like translating, rotating your canvas, rotating your views that you're drawing in it. And yeah, there's some really, really powerful stuff if you, if you dig into it. And what were the biggest challenges you faced while implementing this editor? In terms of the canvas stuff, I guess, you're asking? Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. about the canvas. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, it's obviously a lot of mathematical stuff that has to go on. So a lot of translations and rotations and flipping and stuff like that. So just being able to um, apply all these transformations and know at what point you're in what 
sort of transformed points. So as soon as you apply transformation to a canvas, you'll say like canvas.transform or canvas.scale. And that then any calls like below that would then be scaled or transformed. So it takes quite a bit of like getting used to in terms of knowing that your certain points need to be remapped to be drawn it this way. Or so yeah, it gets a little bit complex, but I think yeah, the most challenging part about Canvas is definitely like just the X, Y coordinate calculations that you have to do. <laughs> oh, wow. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm not good at math, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there was a, a really cool tweet that my colleague shared with me the other day. It was like, um, job, uh, job application, want to be a computer, pro computer graphics programmer. It's like, know how to transform Canvas at matrices and flip and all that stuff. And then it's like actual reality. It's just flipping around uh, things until it works. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> all right. I feel like that's what a lot of our stuff is. You're like, do I rotate it now or do I rotate it later? You just like end up going through all these different options to get to something that works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically, you're saying there's still hope for me to get something drawn on the canvas without having any math uh, <laughs> background. Yeah, exactly. You just need to keep trying. Just keep transforming by some value until it looks right. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned before uh, text as well. I'm not sure, but is it true that working with text is hard? I just heard that layouting text and those kind of stuff is, is really hard to do. I think you use text inside the canvas, right? Or you, you draw directly text on your canvas. Can you give us some insights how it, how it is writing text on a canvas? Yeah, so um, my, my one colleague, uh, Nick Grout, he actually, he did a lot of the text work, but I know we did battle with um, just like laying out the text. So the actual drawing of text is quite like simple in terms of like changing the color and um, changing like the line spacing and the kerning, that's pretty like standard. You just set sort of paint variables and that kind of thing. But in terms of like laying it out and the, knowing the size and that kind of thing, that gets quite tricky. And um, we have to dive into like static layouts and working with that and just like calculating this, the width of the thing and drawing that on screen. So it can get a bit complex, but I think um, like if you just start with the basics of drawing the text, and you kind of know the size and that kind of thing. As soon as you get a bit more complex, like multi-line views, that's when it gets a little bit more, um, a little bit more tricky to to work with. It's not impossible though. <laughs> yeah, but is it still a lot of math that is left up to you as a developer, or does the framework provide you with some some help to, yeah, not having to reinvent the wheel again, or is it even possible to reuse the text view widget from Android somehow and just make it draw on a on your canvas instead of the text use canvas or, or is there some other black magic going on inside your app so we don't draw a text view to the view i don't know if that's possible i mean i, I would assume it might be but I, I don't know we didn't explore that route but um basically i think we had to just dive down the route of using a thing called the static layout i don't know if you've heard of that oh the old the the, the yeah one of that has been deprecated by api uh, i don't know 10 or something like that yeah and there's also like static layout compacts and there's a whole bunch of like yeah there's some really sort of complex stuff going on around there but i think like to measure text static layout is one of the, the approaches but 
to be honest, I didn't dive too deep into the tech stuff. This is just like from me doing PR mm -hmm. reviews and <laughs> just seeing what's going on and like trying to adjust things and add new features. I see. Can you give us an example how people are using your editor? So for instance, what can you exactly do apart from writing text? Yeah, so you can basically you, you can like start from scratch and you get like a blank canvas. And then you can, uh, we have like a few buttons that can add an image to your blank canvas, or you can add a shape, or you can add text layers, or um, we have graphics, which is also just like an image, but it's like our own curated list of, of graphics from a, um, from a library that we have. So it's like, mm -hmm. at the moment, it's basically like three different kinds of layers that we have. Um, and then once you've added an image to your project or a shape or a text layer, you can then do many different things with that layer. So for instance, an image layer, you can um, tint the layer. So you can add a little bit of a different color to it, or you can change the opacity, rotate it, flip it, that kind of thing. And then the same sort of tools apply for text and shape layers. So we have a whole bunch of tools that work with a certain layer, if that makes sense. Gotcha. So it seems like you, are, you have to deal a lot with bitmaps. Are there any learnings or any tips and tricks that you can share with us how to work effectively with bitmaps? Yeah, bitmaps are hard. <laughs> yeah, <but> like, <laughs> it's probably, I mean, that's probably the thing I've dealt with the most and I'm still not like 100% sure I'm doing the right thing all the time. Um, but yeah, it's like, basically, I think we've learned a lot in terms of trying to avoid out of memory exceptions. So from my understanding, and I might be wrong, and I'd, I'd love to hear if someone else has a like, an approach to this, but you can't really tell um, when your device is going to run out of memory until you've right. actually run out of memory. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you can like your users can start adding images and images and images. And then at some point you're like, okay, well now is the time you've now run out of memory. We can't add anything more. Um, so we've done a little bit of work in terms of like when somebody exports, because Rendering on screen is quite easy. So basically when you render on screen, you don't have to, you don't have to load up the big size bitmap that is typically stored on the device, right? You would just have mm -hmm. to load up like a, a really scaled down version and that can be displayed on screen nicely. And um, your end user won't really notice the sort of pixel difference because it's very, a very small view that they won't see. But when you're mm -hmm. exporting, we need to be able to export like the size that the user specifies. So for instance, you can go up to like a really big canvas size of 8192 by 8192 pixels, which is quite a big size <laughs> canvas. It's not the default, thank goodness, but, but it's like an option that people have. And when you get to that stage and you're trying to export, you are now having to load up your bitmaps or whatever's in your project at a really high res, because otherwise your, um, your view is going to look really pixelated if they try to like zoom into certain bits. So basically the approaches that I've seen for dealing with out of memory things is like, just keep retrying. <laughs> so like basically load up the bitmap and if the bitmap doesn't load, if you get an out of memory exception, catch that and then like scale it down somehow or like get a new size and then retry that whole process. <laughs> so it's not ideal, but, but yeah, it's like, one of the approaches that I've seen, and it's, it's kind of helped us with a few, um, we're getting a little bit less out of memory exceptions and people are being able to export now, at least. I mean, the, the image would be a little bit scaled down, but um, at least you have something instead of 
a crash, which is not ideal. So, yeah, I think um, we still have a bit of work to do in terms of like picking up as soon as a user's added too many layers, like catching that and deciding what to do with it because it's a hard thing to do, right? Do you limit them in terms of number of layers or mm -hmm. do you like just have a max cap on the layers, the numbers? So, yeah, um, it's still something that we're, we're actively battling with, but um, we've, we've gotten it down quite a bit, so we're not suffering from it that badly anymore. But yeah, it's been, it's been a ride. <laughs> I see. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Speaking of layers, is layers something that the Canvas API provides? Or are we going to switch now a little bit more into the architecture? And let's probably discuss a little bit how you have modeled the whole thing. So I was wondering, is a layer something that you have modeled in your domain or something like that? Or is it something that the canvas provides? So I think you do get a concept of layers on the canvas, but that is not how we've done it. Um, so I haven't dived into too much about how the canvas works with that. I'm not sure if you do get it. I haven't really seen. But yeah, um, so we've modeled it on our, on our own um, domain layer. So yeah, not anything to do with the canvas specifically. Ah, interesting. Yeah, so... I'm wondering how, how do you architect such an app or such an editor? Is there any particular pattern or architecture that you found now once you have implemented it as the way to go? Can you share any insights on how the architecture of your app looks like? Sure. Yeah, that's a um an awesome question. And I'm glad I'm on this podcast that's uh, spoken about this quite heavily. But um, when I told my team, I was like, oh, I'm going to be on the context podcast. Um, my team lead, Johan, was like, please, you have to tell Hannes, thank you so much for his blog posts and his con uh, his podcasts on the MBI pattern. And I was like, okay, oh I'll, I'm, <laughs> I'll make sure to pass it on because, um, yeah, so we're using, we're using MBI and um, particularly for the editor at least. And we found it to be, um, I mean, I don't know if it's like the perfect solution, but it's definitely been a good solution for this sort of complex, like super, super complex uh, editor view. And I think because the main reason is that you just have like one single source of truth for the state. And there's no like mm -hmm. sort of in between, like this is now toggled off and now this one knows of this state and this one's, this state is different. And so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, we've, we've used MVI and we're, um, we're battling in some places, but at the same time, we've like really enjoyed the sort of single state being able to like abstract that away from the actual visual state as well, which has been um, super useful. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. So if I understood you correctly, this basically means your custom view, who is basically then just drawing on the canvas is, so to speak, the view layer and anything else happens um, in the business layer or in the domain layer or whatever you would like to call it. Is that correct? Yeah, that's pretty much uh, how it works. We did have to like adjust it a bit because um, of just the like sheer number of like actions and stuff that you can do. So instead of having like a single processor for, um, for all the actions, we sort of broke it up into multiple processors for <laughs> like multiple, each processor handles like a certain set of tools and that kind of thing. And then they all have combine and produce one state. Um, yeah, I'm hoping it scales further. It seems to be doing quite well. So um, yeah, it's been interesting. Oh, amazing. Does that mean that all those linear algebra and math stuff that you have mentioned before is then part of your domain layer? No. Well, some of it. <laughs> so like the rendering, 
yeah, the rendering stuff is not part of um, is not part of the MVI flow directly. So the renderer is sort of separate, and uh, our views just have this renderer knowledge, and then um, we pass the new state to these renderers, and the renderer knows like, okay, if this view, um, if this image is at a certain point, this is how I render it on screen. So MVI yeah. doesn't really deal with that. It's just more of the like the data behind it and then the renderers and all that deal with the actual like math uh, logic of like putting it on the screen. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. And we also forgot to mention before that you can also zoom in right on this editor and do all those uh, things that you would expect from a visual editor on an app, right? Yeah. So in the, um, in the new tool that we dived, it's uh, called the mask tool. It's like a basically can erase parts of an image. You can zoom in because obviously it's makes it a lot easier. So yeah, it, it does get a little bit right. more complex and um, yeah, that's kind of stuff isn't on the state per se, but it's like certain portions of it, like information that the view would need to know in order to render and in order to like restore to that point, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 I see. And you also support screen orientation changes, right? Yeah, so that was also <laughs> an interesting one. We have, um, so we really like try to get it to work really nicely on uh, the Pixelbook or the Chrome OS. Um, and with that, you just have like uh, the ability to resize your app into any size. So um, we just basically our, our like editor part is the part that like adjusts its size so that it takes up the most amount of space that it can and that you are free to like move stuff around on that area. So it wasn't too many like separate layouts, but at least like making sure the, the buttons and views look okay on all different sizes. I was wondering, and we will add a link uh, in the show notes to the blog post you have written about Chromebooks. It seems to be very smooth to run your app on a Chromebook. I, I never did that before, so I, I don't know. I was wondering, was it really that smooth or <laughs> did you did, did you have to apply some tweaks or workarounds to make it work on a Chromebook? So we actually ran it once, like when we first got a Chromebook. And I mean, let's also be honest, we're running it on a Pixelbook, which I guess is like the high end Chromebook. So maybe if I don't, I haven't tried it on a lower end Chromebook, so it might not run so well. But um, basically what we did was we ran it on the Chromebook and we were like, this actually works pretty well. <laughs> like we didn't mm -hmm. have to adjust much. I think we just had to um, sort of add screenshots to the Play Store so that it would like appear as designed for tablets. But um, in terms of like the actual like setting up our app to be distributed on the Chromebook. There was not, not anything specific that we did, but uh, our architecture choices like sort of helped us immensely because we were using, um, we were using view models. So the Android architecture mm -hmm. component view models, and that is like sort of how we um, hold state. So when a user like resizes um, the activity, we get that state again from the view model and it's like quite a seamless transition when the user's resizing the activity just because we've like used the architecture components view model and not like try to um, roll that ourselves or anything like that. So that kind of helped quite a bit with sort of um, implementing it on Chrome OS. Uh, I've seen like quite a few apps, if you like resize them, they'll like lose their states and that kind of thing, which isn't great, but yeah, they still work. I mean, <laughs> some of the interactions are not great, but um, I think there's some work that we could do still on Chrome, Chrome OS, like um, supporting the stylus a bit better. Um, by default, the stylus, though, just 
sends normal motion events. So most of the stuff works like our masking works pretty well with uh, the stylus. But I think like there would be some cool stuff that we could do um, just in terms of like integrating a bit better with the pen and the keyboard. So we haven't done anything with the keyboard yet. So it's all just all the touch touch screen. I see. Well, cool. Yeah. Seems I also have to give Chromebooks a try. Never, never used one, but seems to be some nice devices. I was wondering, yeah, cool. do you have a lot of, yeah. I was wondering, do you have a lot of customers who actually use a Chromebook or do you have any, um, I don't know, idea how many users would actually use your app on a Chromebook? Just um, out of so curiosity. We yeah, we haven't actually looked at it. I think I tried to look on the Play Store, but I couldn't quite exactly see, like, you can't really select, like, Chrome OS as, like, how many people are on Chrome OS. So I see. Not, it's not something in the Play Store reports. I mean, maybe I just missed it, but I don't think I don't think it's on there. So that would be something that we'd have, we'd have to, like, report within the app and... I haven't actually investigated as to how many people are on um, Chromebooks or anything like that. I don't suspect it's that many, um, <laughs> but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, hoping that'll change and that we'll get a lot of traction on there. At least it's available and it's working on there. Yeah, I see. Yeah, it sounds good. So coming back to the architecture, so you already explained a little bit that you were using some kind of MVR, you used view model. How would you in general then des describe how all those components uh work together can you guide us through a concrete use case like drawing a i don't know a text on top of an image or let's say you're starting with a blank cam a bit with a blank canvas i'm putting some background image on it and then i'll write some text on it can you guide us through how this works in terms of your app and architecture sure um okay so because we're using mvi there is the concept of actions right so i'm probably explaining this to the person that's written the most about but <laughs> <laughs> feel free to feel free to jump in and like uh comments or say something about what are we doing but basically anytime like a user does something on uh, the ui so it's, for instance they select an image that they want to add we fire off an action to our processor and our processor is living within um the view model and the view model is like the Android view model. And that's the one that sort of maintains state across like configuration changes. But basically mm -hmm. we, we fire an action. So we say, okay, add an image action, something like that. And um, the processor then goes and says, okay, this is what the current state of this uh, project looks like. It has these layers and all that kind of thing. Add this other layer to these, this project and do that kind of thing on it. And that we have um, sort of abstracted far away from the UI. And um, mm -hmm. once that processor is finished processing, I mean, there's a couple more things it does in terms of like undo stuff and all that kind of thing. But oh yeah, like, nice. <laughs> in terms of like the simple way of like thinking about it, it basically um, says, okay, this processor will then uh, return this action or this result. Sorry, actions and results. <laughs> it returns a result and then um, this result is basically a new state object and that state contains like what the project should look like on screen. Not exactly how it looks like, but just like the terms of the data in terms of what it should look like. And then um, on screen, we have our custom view that we say, okay, you go and draw and do the things that you know how to do and um, put that on screen for us. Uh -huh. Interesting. Yeah, so com coming back to the example I started with. so. Blank canvas, I add a background image. 
is my understanding correct that that, that there is something like a add image action or something like that that gets triggered by the user? Yes, that would be something that we would have, yeah. Ah, cool. And is then the image loaded and scaled down somewhere inside the processor? So we've had, uh, yeah, we've had interesting challenges with bitmaps and images and that kind of thing. So our bitmap mm -hmm. loading and all that is currently happening outside of the MBI processor. So um, we like ran into state issues where like maybe the bitmap would take a little bit too long to load or something like that. And then your state is like kind of in a weird, a weird mechanism or weird like position. So um, we're basically just using state for like the sort of pure model object of what it looks like and not and not storing anything else like bitmaps or anything in it um, purely because it's just okay. like gets a lot more complicated and um, we'd rather push like the bitmap loading and that kind of thing into some other mechanism that we use. Yeah, I see. But somehow in your domain or inside this processor, you store something like uh, an image is, is there or is, should be shown on the canvas, right? Without actually loading the bitmap, but something, some information yeah. like that is stored somewhere. Oh, right. Yeah, that's. And yeah. then if I add a new layer, I guess it would pretty much work the same. So the user triggers a add layer uh, action, which then adds somehow a layer inside your model class. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly how it does. Yeah. All right, and exactly the same, I guess, with adding then a text or something like that. So a text in this new layer would be also be modeled by triggering an add text action or something like that, and then you have the text inside this layer in your model as well. Yeah, so we basically like describe the changes that should happen through the processor and then like the rendering stuff is all sort of not within the processor, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, awesome. That sounds pretty, pretty solid. I was wondering, is there anything going on asynchronously inside your processors? And how do you model that? Are you using some libraries like Alex Java? Are you using coroutines? Are you using some async tasks because you're cool and yeah, you know, just use async <laughs> tasks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if we managed to use async tasks, I would be very impressed. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so we're using Arch, we're using Arch Java. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that's definitely happening like in the background, uh, like for instance, loading up your project. Um, just generally, like a lot of the stuff is just pushed off the main thread and like returned when it's finished and that kind of thing, especially sort of. Uh, stuff that needs to go and fetch from like the file system or that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. no, no coroutines as of yet. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure if, if we would put coroutines considering we have RxJava. Um, we haven't really explored that, I guess. But mm -hmm. yeah, RxJava seems to be working pretty well for us for that. And async tasks, um, yeah, no. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> no. <laughs> Every app should that. have an async task. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't have any that we've written ourselves. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's like some library that's pulled in an async task somewhere, but yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was wondering, this architecture that you have described, is there any library like Mavericks or any other, I don't know, library out there that you use? Or is it like your own, uh, or have you shipped your own solution or library that you use for the state management stuff? Uh, so we're using our own like sort of 
Frankenstein yeah. implementation. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. We've obviously, like I mentioned, we took a lot of inspiration from the work that you've published online and um, frameworks that you've you've discussed and talked about and all that kind of thing. And there were a couple examples and talks that people have done as well that we've sort of drawn inspiration from all these different things and sort of amalgamated and made sort of our own one for this um, editor, especially because there's like multiple processes and weird stuff like that. So yeah, it's been it's been interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally see that. So one missing part for me still is, so you have your actions, you change your state, and then the state get, gets drawn on the canvas. I was wondering, how do I actually trigger a re redraw, so to speak, of the whole um, draw method? What does it take to make your custom canvas to draw again once the state change happened? Yeah, so that would just be like a new state coming in from the processor. So like a new domain model that we've got for the whole like project. And um, we we currently just trigger that into our custom view and say invalidate and redraw at that point. I see. So I it's basically awesome. just calling invalidate and then the undraw method will, be, will get called again with the updated model. Yep, pretty much. But I think, yeah, I think there's some like work that we could probably do in terms of like optimizing it to sort of only draw the parts that need to be redrawn at this point. And yeah, that's so far, it's not too bad. Um, I guess there's yeah. always room for improvement in everything. <laughs> yeah, sounds, sounds pretty solid, pretty good. Um, I was wondering at the same time, have you experimented with surface view? Because then you could also draw outside of the main thread. Was that something you have explored or was there no need yet to explore drawing off of the main thread? So we haven't done Surface View yet. We I suspect we might get into it when uh, we need to add the video feature, which is a big thing mm -hmm. that we need to do. Um, but yeah, we haven't uh, we haven't used that yet for the current version, and we probably will need to at some point. So, yay, more things to learn. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, a whole fledged uh, video editor sounds also very very challenging. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So I'm looking forward to see more awesome videos from you on Twitter where you share your progress on the video editor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's see about that. Hopefully it hopefully it goes well and hopefully um hopefully MBI sort of scales to to use it and I guess we'll see if we we learn anything in the in the next few months with that. Yeah, I hope so too. Otherwise don't blame me, please. <laughs> or forget my name. Yeah, I'll be like, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that guy. No, <laughs> no I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the benefits I feel about MVI is that testing goes really, really handy. I was wondering, how do you approach testing? One on one hand, from let's say the whole architectural view. On the other, on the other hand, also, how do you test Canvas? Is there some some I don't know some special tricks like taking a screenshot or saving the whole Canvas on a bitmap to kind of test if the actual rendering works as expected? Is there anything you can share how you approach testing? Yeah, so testing UI stuff, I think, is still really hard. <laughs> but let's talk about the yeah. other, like, MVI stuff so long. So, yeah, we basically have, um, like, our processes all and our actions and that kind of thing all tested. That is, like, super easy to test because it's not anything to do with, like, Android framework stuff generally. And um, we can just like pass actions and just like determine and like make sure that the result that we're getting out is the correct result that we're expecting. So those um, tests are, are pretty simple and like also, well, I wouldn't say pretty simple, but like 
easier to write than uh, UI tests. And then we also have um, tests for like our repository layers and stuff like that. So uh, those are like standard, mostly um, just sort of JUnit tests, nothing Android specific in them. And those go pretty well. And we have um, a few of those as well. So yay for those kind of tests. I think um, the hard part comes in for us and we're still sort of exploring this. And actually quite recently I started exploring this is like um, making sure that the renderer and um, the different changes that we make to the rendering that we don't like mm -hmm. screw anything up in terms of the old the old projects and the old stuff that people may have made. So for instance, if we ship a new feature, the old feature that uh, the old projects that someone has made on the old version of the app, they still need to obviously look exactly the same as what they did when the user first made that project. So um, ideally, and this is in an ideal world, we would have um, a whole test suite of um, like, this is like a test project, this is what it should look like, and then just like assert that this is a, the correct thing and that the rendering is right. But, you know, ideal in like real world scenarios. <laughs> um, so we don't have like a whole, um, our UI test suite is not like, I would say it's not, it's not even running on a build server at the moment. So I guess it's like not really useful at the moment. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but yeah, so, the, so there's like, um, we've explored some options in terms of just doing the comparison stuff, because I think that's the one place that we feel like at least for UI stuff, this should be the most tested in terms of the rendering and what it looks like to a end user. So, um, I've actually explored looking at two different options for, um, for testing of that kind of thing. And uh, the one is that a uh, RoboElectric one to compare uh, Canvas stuff. So it uses um, this concept of a shadow, which is like sort of faking out. I mean, faking is probably not the correct word, but it's like it's faking the, the backing canvas and you, you sort of do operations on this sort of fake canvas and then you, at the end, you determine and you use the shadow of the canvas to know that the certain operations were executed on the canvas. Um, mm -hmm. so it's, it's okay. I mean, it, it, it'll help us in terms of like, um, some basic tests and like not having to run them on, uh, on a, on a device or something like that, which is cool, but it's not going to give us exactly like pixel perfect rendering comparisons. So yeah, it's not, it's not going to be like a full sort of test suite for that which is unfortunate, um, but there's another, uh, another tool by Facebook called uh, Screenshot Tests for Android. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, so that has actually kind of worked for us. Um, so uh, like I mentioned quite recently, I was looking into this where I'm able to now render something in a test and um, use Facebook's screenshot uh, library to sort of take capture what this view would look like or what this canvas would look like and then assert it against what we've saved. So that seems to work pretty well. Um, the only step we need to still do is to get that running on our build servers and to um, obviously add a lot more tests for that. So like mm -hmm. adding all the different kinds of layers and different kinds of transformations. And then um, then we should have a, like more of a, a comprehensive set of like at least rendering tests, which will, will help with sort of small bugs that, that may appear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I totally can see how this can pay off for you because yeah we, we used it in my previous company although we didn't do anything with drawing on with canvas but we used it in general to test our ui and for us it worked well 
Um, however, there is a, a little, yeah, I'm not sure how to say it, a little of, I don't know, some offset or variations inside taking screenshots. Or I, th I think if you really want to have yeah. a comparison pixel <laughs> by pixel, this is exactly what this tool does. But for us, it turned out all the running the same screen that looks exactly the same on the same device. Sometimes there were some pixels off and we weren't really sure if it's <laughs> because of oh, the emulator, man. if it's about the Android system. So we had a yeah. little bit of flakiness in those screenshots tests because it was really by a very, very small marginal of one pixel or something like that off. But wow, I, I'm yeah. not sure <laughs> if we forked it. Yeah, I'm not sure if we forked the screenshot tests um, evaluation stuff and added a little bit of an offset or, or if it was part of the, or if it is part of the official Facebook um, screenshot test library where you can adjust some kind of offset to ignore those one pixel off things or not. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't dived into that yet, but it sounds like yeah. something that could pop up. But I guess for us, we would like, we don't want that one pixel difference. <laughs> like it needs yeah. to look the same. So I don't know. I guess yeah. We're still we're still trying to get that all uh, up and running and uh, going on a build server and just like being able to add more tests to this so that we have the suite of things that we could use. So we're still getting there. I mean, um, still yeah, be yeah, a while, I guess. yeah. Sounds. <laughs> but yeah, that sounds really a good way to go. So again, I can recommend this library worked worked well for us. Except this. Things where pe where it was a little bit flaky because of not the library itself, but because really the the two screenshots were off by one pixel or something. Like that. But yeah, yeah, I can see how that pretty, can happen. Pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, I think because um, I looked into like just robo using RoboElectric, like compare the bitmaps itself, and they yeah. say like that's that's not going to work because um, it's just like it'll take so long to compare all those pixels. Whereas I think the Facebook screenshot test thing uses uh, Python to run it sort of like in parallel and it can do the comparisons pretty quickly. So I think it is the right approach for us. Um, it might just mean us yeah. like tweaking, tweaking the scripts or something a little bit for our own use, but we'll see. We'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm looking forward to your next blog post explaining how not to use Robolactic on how not to use the screenshot <laughs> library. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think PSPDFKit also used Robolactic. I think I saw some blog post uh, where they used Robolactic to test their rendering for rendering PDFs on on the screen. We yeah, can add a link. I had to a the look at that notes. one. Yeah, yeah, that's, that was a quite an interesting article. I think it um, it did that sort of shadow comparison thing with produces text instead of like an actual image, and then you just compare the text description of what has happened, which is interesting. Ah, interesting. Yeah, interesting yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, also a co-worker of mine brought this topic up. Um, like he's coming from from the web world or has a stronger background in web development. And he basically said, wouldn't it be nicer instead of doing um, screenshot testing? Well, not sure if that's applicable for your case because you really want to make a photo or a screenshot. But he, he basically <laughs> suggested instead of um, taking a real screenshot like and comparing the, the, the bitmaps, would it make sense to actually get some text representation of the view hierarchy and then compare the view hierarchy? So basically that's how they, or not how they, but how web developer doing it. They're comparing a virtual DOM by not taking screenshots, but by taking the text representation of the virtual DOM, all, so to speak, you know, in a very simplified version. Okay. So that could also be something to look into. I think that's yeah, kind of sense. how, um, yeah, it, it does. I think that's how RoboElectric works. 
um, in terms of their like shadow, I didn't look into shadow view, but they have like a, that shadow canvas and that basically just like logs and keeps track of like what the text representation of the canvas would be. So um, it doesn't mm-hmm. specifically like look at the bitmap, but it looks at like a text representation of it, which, yeah, it's not a bad approach. Um, it's just, I don't think it's what we really want to do in terms of our rendering. I mean, it might help, but yeah, we've got bigger things to yeah. look at, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So coming back to what you said before, so you, if I understood you correctly, you said you are writing more or you're writing basically unit tests. Is that understanding correct? And if so, do you also write some, um, I'm not sure if end-to-end test is the right word, but some functional tests or integration tests or even espresso UI tests or where do you draw the line or what is in general the recommended testing approach for engineers inside your team? Yeah, that's a good good question. So we basically like kind of for everything that's not view related, we kind of hope that you will write uh, unit tests at least. And that's kind of like mm-hmm. the expectation that at least you have your um, your logic and your business logic and all the kind of things test, unit tested. In terms of um, a UI tests and integration tests, we have a couple. I wouldn't say there's like a large amount of them. We have probably the more unit tests than others, but we have um, a couple for sort of like the login screen and um, that kind of thing, like the, that main flow. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not something that we have a lot of, and I don't know. It's not like an expectation for sort of new work, which... I guess with this new rendering thing that we're working on, um, we would expect that if you're touching the, at least the rendering for like the editor, you at least add some some more tests to that as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one follow-up question to what you have mentioned earlier is like keeping this backward compatibility with projects. User have I don't know made some app versions before the current version. I was yeah. wondering. So you, you you were speaking about that more from the context of getting it under test somehow to also support uh, old stuff. But I was wondering, do you also run some migrations in production, similar to like database migrations on your project file structure once you add some features or something like that? Or how do you, or do you deal with different versions of renderers inside the UI layer? So let's say if the project um, a user has created a year ago, has been created with version 1.0, then I use the renderer with version 1.0, whereas a new project would use the renderer with version, I don't know, 5.0 or something like that. And also probably the representation of the project stored on the disk, uh, yeah, stored on the phone, on the device or in the cloud, I'm not sure where you're actually storing it, uh, will be in a, will, will be also versionized and run through some migrations once you update your app. What is the strategy there? Yeah, so we currently have been quite lucky. The app is still pretty new. <laughs> so we haven't had to write like a whole migration for like changing the project structure or anything like that. So the new features that we add are at the moment just been new fields. So if that field doesn't exist, we're lucky enough that we can just like ignore it in the renderer and we just don't render that. And the, the projects at the, at the moment sort of work backwards now because like you can open it and just add more fields to it and there's no problem with that. So uh, we haven't had to write any migrations, uh, thankfully, just yet. Um, but yeah, I assume our approach, I don't know, I, like I don't even know if we've, we've thought about the approach that we would have if we had to like um, 
like we would probably have to either have two renderers or like a migration that runs on the project itself or something like that. But yeah, luckily we haven't had to deal with that just yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, fair enough. So why worrying about it by now if it doesn't is a problem right now? So yeah, yeah, sounds 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 good. Um, switching gears a little bit. So my co-host Arthur asked me to ask you a question. So he used your app, and I'm just reading reading out loud what he he uh, told me. The animation on the pro subscription screen is so nice. Please share how it's made. <laughs> Is it the framework? Is it the transition frameworks thing? Is it the lobby? Uh, so probably first of all, can you explain us a little bit uh, how the screen actually looks like? And yeah, if if you don't mind, share a little bit of insights how it's made because it's really a lovely screen. Yeah, <laughs> sure. So um, the, the upsell screen is basically when uh, we the app is basically making money through uh, subscriptions. So people pay to get access to more templates and fonts and stuff like that. So Obviously, when somebody clicks on a font that is not free, we have to show them like this upsell screen to sort of like, entice them to subscribe. Um, so that screen that uh, this is this comment is referring to is um, basically like a whole bunch of images that have been made using the app, and they sort of like float into the screen at different times, and then like a little Instagram-like sort of counter thing pops up at the end and like shows you like, yeah, you've got some likes. And then like the other elements in the screen um, also kind of fade in and move into the screen at that, at that point. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, what it, that's what it looks like um, <laughs> in terms of how it works. Uh, this is actually um, motion layout. So uh, we've dived a little oh, bit awesome. into... Yeah, so we've dived a little bit into using motion layout. And it's just a bunch of images that we have on screen that um, are using like view translations within motion layout. And motion layout is pretty cool because you can just sort of define uh, the end position of something and then it interpolates from the start position to the end position and it like animates it quite nicely for you uh, using the sort of interpolator and all that that you've defined on the on the view. So um, yeah, it was like sort of our first sort of dipping of our toes into using motion layout in the app and it seems to be working pretty well. So we're happy with it. and. Um, yeah, it's it's the, another part of motion layout that it's using specifically is called uh, the keyframe uh, methods or a key cycle frame, I think it's called something like that. But basically, with that, yeah. you can like you can specify at ninety percent of the animation uh, set this certain view to this opacity or whatever like property you want to set. So um, you'll see if you watch that animation, it like at, right at the end, the little like Instagram like thing comes up and then you can see that um, just for like a small part of the, of the animation. So that's using uh, the keyframe to sort of stagger the, the parts of the animation. Yeah, motion layout is really a great, a great piece of software or of a library. That's really great. One thing, though, that pisses me off a little bit, <laughs> maybe I'm too harsh, um, but is motion layout didn't hit like a stable version yet, right? It's still part of constant layout and it's still 2.0 beta or something or release candidate or something like that, or even alpha. Is that correct? Do you remember that from the top of your head? Yeah, so I think it might still be an alpha. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I kind of agree. Like it's, it's been an alpha for quite a while. I mean, I can understand. It's like a really complex feature. Um, but yeah, I yeah. Think, like I've used it quite a bit and I'm quite happy with it like being in production. I mean... 
I guess we were quite risky <laughs> in, ter- in terms of putting it on like our subscription screen. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. It, seems, it seems to be Which is fun. an important screen, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, let's just use this alpha thing on the most important screen. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, <laughs> it, it, seems, it seems pretty pretty stable for us. So um, yeah, I guess I would, I would say it's not alpha, but I guess I'm not the one to decide that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but yeah, I also used it, well, not on the most important screen, but yeah, it's, it works pretty <laughs> solid for, for us as well. Yeah. Yeah, I really wish that Google would give it a little bit more of a, I don't know, priority to finalize all those stuff. It, it feels like they're working, I don't know, somehow part-time on this since a year or two years. No, two years is too much, but since a year, yeah. Would love <laughs> to see a stable release of this. Yeah, I think, I, I hope it for it at least by, uh, I think, they were aiming for like an alpha version of that editor so that like the motion layout editor within the thing so you don't have to use uh, yeah, XML. True. So yeah, I think they're hoping for comes, that for like comes IO. Along, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. hopefully... They also have to support the tool, the tooling side or like the IDE side. So probably, yeah, will slow down the whole uh, iteration process a bit. Yeah, so I'm hoping for uh, at least maybe before IO, <laughs> which is like in a month. So I guess they don't have much time if I'm hoping... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Speaking about I.O., <laughs> I was wondering, um, since you told me before that you were going to the I.O., is there some f- rumors or some speculation from your side what we are going to see next, apart from what we have already seen with the Android Q uh, first beta? Do, what are your oh. expectations for Google? Oh, wow. It's a hard question, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm probably like one of the worst people to do these kind of things. I'm always like the last one to update my phone. <laughs> like the last one to look at all the features. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've, like I'm really hoping for a proper clipboard manager, but I, I don't know if it's going to happen. Like something mm-hmm. where I can like co- copy an image into my clipboard and then paste it somewhere else. Like I'm really, really hoping yeah. for that, but uh, I don't know if it's going to happen. Maybe. Yeah, but that would be cool. I second this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> feature request <laughs> yeah all right cool is there something that you would like to share with our listeners in terms of bitmaps canvas maybe even architecture something that worked well for you something that you would do otherwise now in retrospective anything else you would like to share before we wrap up the whole session um one thing I did not mention, which I think was quite uh, quite a nice thing to use if you're using the Canvas APIs, is to look at using the extension functions that Android X provides. So they've got a bunch of really cool extensions, like um, Canvas dot with translation, it's called. And then basically within that extension function, your block that of code that you're running is now like translated. So your code gets a lot more nicely indented and you kind of know exactly at what point in which block of code your canvas is like translated or rotated or that kind of thing. So yeah, there's a bunch of really cool extension functions for canvas um, that I recommend having a look at. And then, yeah, I guess um, we've written a few blog posts on <laughs> our over-engineering blog and, um, but nothing in terms of like, I guess we could write one on like the Canvas extensions. Maybe, maybe that's a good one. But yeah, um, there's a couple of blog posts that we have on there that uh, we'd like to add some of our insights into how we've done certain things. Awesome. Yeah, we make sure to add a link to the over blog in the show notes. Cool. Cool. Awesome. All right. 
yeah thank you so much rebecca for joining this episode it was a lot of fun and really i learned a lot <laughs> so i'm not that scared anymore to of, of working with the canvas <laughs> awesome thank you so much for having me i also had a lot of, a lot of fun cool all right then i'm stopping the recording now bye bye cheers bye